the very nature of how the org views data and analytics is setting the analysts up to fail, <laughs> um, or at least to not succeed. Um, you know, if, if you have a company that isn't interested in making decisions off of your analytics data, then it is an uphill battle for any analyst in that position to um, provide value. Welcome to 33 Tangents, a weekly podcast featuring a rotating panel of co-hosts that all work together in the same company, but live in different areas of the world. The discussions cover a wide variety of topics from digital analytics to working remotely to current happenings in business and technology. Our regular day-to-day conversations often go off in various directions, and the goal of this podcast is to share our ideas and find new ways to engage with others. Are you working from the uh, porch? Because if so, um, I'm incredibly jealous. We're down into the mid-20s again. Uh, I am not yet. Um, I've just been in the office just trying to crank stuff out. But the weather is nice. It's very tempting right now. Yeah, you were working with the windows open the other day because I could hear the birds. Yeah, yeah. So the wife and kiddo were out of the house all day yesterday. So I went upstairs and work from the kitchen table for a while. So I was like surrounded by like windows and everything. Nice. I had the windows open this morning because it's a nice day here and heard some very faint nondescript bird sounds through the window. And I thought I recognized them and I ran outside and sure enough, there was a whole flock of cedar waxwings, which is my favorite smaller bird, like songbird type, um, which I see very rarely. So I'm happy we had the windows open. I got to go see my favorite birds. Very nice. Do you still have the um, the yellow snow? Not the not the oh, dog yeah. feet on snow. But oh no, it's everywhere. Yeah, um, snow. like right now, I was just wiping off my my uh, magic mouse trackpad thing um, because it's gotten a coating now of, of yellow. <laughs> That's incredible. Just everything is coated in yellow powder. It's horrible. I'm lucky my it doesn't get my allergies too bad. Um, at, at least there's that. A lot of other people can't <laughs> can't say that. Yeah, yeah um, probably freak out. We're due for it. Um, we we haven't had it yet because we do reach that point where like the cars are just coated in it. You know, your, your car looks green, and I, I actually popped into my mind I had to run over to to the FedEx location because I was sending something to Todd. And, um, like I was looking at the hood of the cars I'm driving, like, Oh, no pollen yet, but it should be any day now. (laughs) Yeah. No, it honestly looks like someone's smattered yellow paint all over our porch. Oh, well, well, and it's funny because I always, as we get closer to spring, I think, um, like, Hey, spring cleaning. I'm so excited for it to be warm enough for me to, you know, deep clean the, uh, leave the windows open and air out stuff. And, and then I get to this point, I'm like, oh no, it's a really good job. A good thing I procrastinated because having cleaned already would have been completely pointless um, because it's all just going to be dirtified <laughs> by the pollen anyway. So yay for procrastination. <laughs> I mean, hey, that, that's, uh, that's, that, that's looking on the bright side sometimes that's what you got to do yeah yeah well um i didn't look at our i didn't look at the agenda for today so i'm coming in cold i can't even cue you up for a a good transition (laughs) hey i mean but that 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 one's as good as as any so what i want to do is i want to wrap up our series on digital analytics, instrumentation, data collection, architecture, and whatnot today. So what I want to talk about are common pitfalls that um, people often encounter. And in the description, I laid out a couple examples. um, Ones where, you know, what, what we've seen, I've seen throughout my career, especially my time here at 33 sticks, um, 
you know, we, we've run into scenarios where you have a client that over implements, they wire up every possible piece of data. And then afterward, they're just left wondering what to do with it all because they have so much. You then have, you know, those that never really truly finish the implementation. Um, and they're just constantly in a state of implementation and building and actually never get to using the insights. Um, and then the third, which is on, you know, say the opposite end of the spectrum is the, the ones that think it's just something you can set and forget. Um, and then they wonder why, you know, data starts to go wonky and whatnot. So I, I don't want to dig too much into those examples because I actually, you know, like in the introduction here, that is, because I actually want to get into the conversation there. But like those are, as I was thinking this topic up, like those are the three that the common pitfalls I've come across, where it's one of those three kinds of mindsets. Um, what uh, have either of you seen as, as common issues when um, either someone's starting out fresh, they're, they're migrating from, from one solution to another, one vendor for, uh, to another, maybe they're moving from something a bit more on the basic side and moving up to something more on the, the complex side of things, or those that are just reevaluating their, their current state with an implementation they've had in place for, for a while. I think you hit the big ones. Um, but I think there's a lot of different reasons why those things play out. And that's what I want to get into is, is the reasons for, for each of those. So I, I guess, okay. Yeah, go no, no, you go ahead. All right. Then there may be a good place to start is, is let's dig into those three scenarios and then we can then come back around to see what other kinds of scenarios or variations of those uh, that we've seen. So let's dig into the scenario where, you know, this, um, a client over implements again, they wire up every single piece of data possible. And then when they actually go to start using it, they hit, a, you know, they hit paralysis. There's just too much information. You know, why, what leads to that? I think there's a few things often to me, it's a kind of a catch all where it's, it's easier to say track everything than it is to sit down and think through your actual requirements and what value you're, how you're going to be getting value out of the tool and um, designing a solution towards specific goals. If you just say track everything, then you don't really have to think too hard about how you're going to use any particular part of it. Um, and then I think uh, the other side that I sometimes see is folks who have maybe data quality issues um, and they know that they might not be tracking certain page view things correctly, for instance, but if they track every single click, then they will be able to use the, this massive report with every single click in it. Um, that, that's kind of a fallback for when their data, <laughs> when they didn't do it correctly, at least they have their fallback and they can wade through the sea of useless data and find what they need rather than just, you know, fixing the report that was designed to answer their question. Yeah, I think, I think a lot of it from my perspective has been driven by a widespread belief that data collection is easy or should be easy, um, which I think, I think is fundamentally false. It's incredibly complex and difficult to do it right. Um, and because there's this belief that it's easy, it's led to a lot of companies either hiring or um, promoting within very inexperienced people to own data collection and implementation. And what that has led to um, is these bloated implementations that are not sustainable. And I think a big part of that comes from, again, the lack of experience to know how to develop something from a more sustainable perspective, but also that inexperience leads to a, a, a bit of a lack of leadership. And so a lot of those components become very reactionary where they're kind of a doer of business requests. So as, as business stakeholders come in and say, well, we need this, we need this, we need this their thought is, okay, I got to jump and go collect that. And they don't even slow down enough to think about the strategy behind it. They just do what is, is said because there's a lack of experience to lead it from a more proactive uh, approach. So I think lack of experience in that role, I think is a huge contributor to, I, 
you know, a lot of the use cases, Jim, that you laid out. It's just tricky because it's hard to get experience enough in the role to be able to avoid some of those pitfalls and know which kind of data is worth tracking and be able to uh, make good arguments perhaps against uh, the different directions you might be pulled in that, that might not actually be in your best interest. Yeah, no, I, I agreed. And I think, you know, maybe that is solved if we have a better investment in people. So we have a, a more broad distribution of experiences within teams. So you kind of have that built in mentor mentee model where people can learn, but still have some structured guidance. But because budgets for analytics people are so incredibly small that that just typically doesn't work. You know, you have one or two people in these multi-billion dollar organizations that are responsible for 18 different properties. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's too much. Um, and, and in an ideal world, again, you would kind of have this apprenticeship model where you've got some more experienced folks, you bring younger folks on to get that experience. Um, yeah, it's, it's tough. The, the chicken and egg thing is, is definitely very tough. Um, I also think that, well, I don't know how much the, the vendors have um, contributed to more complexity, although I had an interesting discussion last week about this and that um, even, even if customers are not fully using all of the potential of your platform, you have to keep reinventing solutions because what are you going to sell them on? You know, especially you know, these big players in the space that are publicly traded companies, we can't have our revenue flat. We have to grow it every year. And so I, I think that's led to it as well, where we can't just allow our customers to feel comfortable collecting a, a small subset of actionable data. We have to do more and more and more so we can justify increasing fees so we can have better revenues. I, I think that probably plays a lesser extent, but definitely in there. And then there's a few, a few players in the space that are all in on the We'll just collect everything and, you know, we'll figure it out later um, approach, which I think is incredibly dangerous. Yeah. And I think it, what you were just saying there also bleeds into the second use case um, where it's the they never actually leave the implementation phase because you're right. It, it is easier just to to track data. And so the, the, the second scenario being a, a client deploys a, a web analytics implementation the project say on the books is, is completed project manager moves on and everything, but they stay in this phase of continual instrumentation. And I, I like to think of it like a, a word that I use for it is, is cheap movement. It's, it's a way of showing cheap progress that, Oh, we deployed this dimension. We deployed this metric. We deployed X number of rules over the last month through our TMS. See, we're getting work done because it's easier to do that than actually dig into the data. Yeah, and I think it's a really delicate balance. Um, in my perspective, an implementation is never done. It's always evolving, if nothing more from a maintenance standpoint. And, and maintenance is another, or lack of maintenance is another real critical issue on why we kind of see implementations and data collection strategies in, in the state that they are in uh, is because we're not thinking about maintaining uh, but also to your point, um, sometimes it's more comfortable just to always be doing and building more data collection as an excuse. But again, there's a balance there because I, I do think it's important that, that implementations are fluid and shift and align with the business's ever evolving goals. But it has to be purpose driven for why we're doing it and not just reactionary of, oh, here's more stuff we can capture. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and I. I'm sorry, go ahead, Jen. I was just gonna say, and, and it needs to not be at at the uh, at the cost of analysis. If you're implementing so much that you don't have time and you don't you're not putting effort and resources into analysis and insight, then that's that's a problem. And a lot of folks get in that cycle of yeah. all of the effort and resources going into the, you know, even the maintenance, if you will, but but then they don't have resources to actually make use of the data. Yeah, that's right. And we've seen that happen where, and Jim was alluding to this, where companies will use the excuse of the implementation isn't complete. We can't action the data yet to avoid doing that. 
And then when they finally do get to that place, then they start to jump into the data and they say, wait a minute, this data is way too overly complicated and messy. We can't make use of it. We got to mm-hmm. we got to rethink about the implementation now. So, uh, you know, I know that it's not the topic of, of this episode, but one of the things that I'm really, really passionate about is making sure that data collection and data activation, whether it's A-B testing or analysis or building dashboards, go hand in hand. And, and oftentimes we think it's this linear process where we do all the technical work to get the data and then we hand it off and say, okay, you know, analyst, now it's your turn to go. Um, and, and from an analyst perspective, they think, okay, we're going to do our analysis and then, you know, we're going to cut the implementer out of the loop. It really, both roles really need to be included in that entire process to make this thing go. And if, if nothing else, that should get rid of the excuse of, you know, we, we can't do analysis until the implementation is complete. Sure you can. And in fact, it would help the analysis become better. It would help the implementation become better. Which I think actually leads into that third of um, the third use case uh, where you you think that it's a set it and forget it type of thing. If, If you are approaching your implementation with that mindset of there will someday be a point when this is done. And at that point, we'll do our analysis and insight then yeah, you're setting yourself up for failure. So on one hand, there's the eternal never done implementing. On the other hand, there is the set it and forget it mindset, except they never achieve that that set it. <laughs> you know, they, they never get to the point where they would theoretically be forgetting it. Um, <laughs> so they end up just not, not ever doing the analysis and insight and actually getting value and figuring out what of their data is, is worth putting effort into. That's so true. I, I, another thing that I think plays into this that might be a, a slightly touchy subject is we, we all think that we know best as well. And and what ends up happening there is that um, we end up creating these incredibly complex um, abstraction layers from the platforms we're using, whether it's Adobe or GA or something else. Um, you know, we, we don't we don't put our full trust in these companies that they've put in the work to design the products in a way that is going to make our jobs more efficient. And so we have to create these layers on top of that. And I'm sure both of you have seen implementations like that, where mm-hmm. there's these incredibly complex, sometimes tens of thousands of lines of code on top of it, that is just spaghetti and incredibly difficult to, to maintain. Um, I think that plays into it as well. Cause we're, I think at, at heart, we're all builders and we like to create mm-hmm. stuff and we, we get this new sandbox and like, Oh, we should, you know, create this application on top of an application on top of an application. And a lot of times it's, it's, it's simply unnecessary. And we're, we're, we're becoming our own worst enemy in those cases. Yeah. Agreed. A hundred percent. Well, I think sometimes I think the over-engineering happens because of the resources that were brought in. I've, I've frequently seen uh, launch particularly where once I start poking around, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so much more complicated than it needs to be. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that's because they were bringing in a very good developer with yeah. zero analytics experience. Yeah, it goes back to my point of um, inexperience being yeah. a huge driver. I, I agree. And we see, I, 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 I've seen that a lot over the years where, the person brought in as an incredibly talented front-end developer has no experience with analytics at all, and they're forced to kind of use this analytics solution to collect data, and all they really are using it for is a host to run their their custom JavaScript, which they yep. basically write their own analytics engine. Um, and again, I think that comes back to inexperience. I think a big part of that is a lot of companies, even these Again, massive billion-dollar brands. I think they really struggle to know how to hire for these positions. Oh yeah, it, it still seems like twenty years in plus to this, you know, digital analytics space. These companies simply have no idea how to identify the right level of talent for these roles. It's a huge problem. Well, and to be fair, in a lot of cases, there merely isn't that talent out there, you know, to be hired. There, there's there's a severe lack of people who have the skill set to come in and not over-engineer it, but still know the technical details enough to, yeah. to get the job done. Yeah, that's, that is a, a huge, a huge part of it. Um, 
and it's to, to that, to your point, I, I don't think it's for lack of trying, although I will put a slight caveat on that in that we're still seeing a lot of companies being incredibly resistant to, to remote work mm-hmm, in this mm-hmm. space. And so if you're, we're, if we're admitting that there is already a very limited talent pool that, that truly has the experience to do this right for your company, but you're, you're narrowing an already small talent pool into something like a kitty size pool because they can only be in the current city you're in, man, yeah. it's, it's going to be tough. You know, and and part of the problem is is ego. Um, in this, a lot, you know, these these companies think, oh, well, we're company X. Like, you know, people would love to say they work here, so you know, they're going to come work here. I'm like, no, that doesn't work like that. I was just about to say the arrogance of either the right talent is here in this this place. Like, I'll I'll say it. The, the, there's I've come across it. There there's. Chicago is one of those areas. I've worked with a few companies where they arrogantly believe that all the best talent can be found in Chicago. Not necessarily true. Or Jason, to your point where it's, we're, we're brand X, so you'll, you'll live where we tell you to live to come work for us. It, and, it's, and it's hard not to, to think that way because, and maybe it's a generational thing, but I, I definitely had some of those very strong opinions as as well and i in fact a funny story i remember back very very early days at at omniture um my maybe first or second work trip i went out to new york i'm not going to name the the company i went to visit but i was so petrified because i was going to meet with the front-end development team for a a very well-known brand in Manhattan. I'm like, oh, these guys, these guys were, you know, live in Manhattan. They're probably the best developers on the planet. And I was so, I had psyched myself out so much and I got there and I sat down with them and I'm like, wait, I can hang with these guys. <laughs> you know, they're just normal people. But, you know, I had painted this picture in my head that, well, if they work in Manhattan, they must be the elite of the elite. Right, right. I think we all have those kind of assumptions that sometimes are true, but a lot of times they're they're not. There's amazing talent, especially in the technical space, all over the world. So yeah, yeah, and and especially now, now at this point, you know that that talent is actually able to to say, you know, they want the autonomy to be where they want to be, not necessarily be in in a specific city, location, office, or whatever. I mean, yeah, we, just, go ahead. I was just going to say, we, we, we could have a whole episode just mm-hmm. on hir- hiring practices and uh, how they are contributing to uh, lack of value out of your analytic solution. Yeah. But that, it is at the core, isn't it? I mean, yeah. we, we like to think that, and, and, you know, companies get into this mindset that we can buy us buy some kind of software and it's going to fix all of our problems. I, I've never seen it happen, um, yeah. at least not without the right people in place. So, you know, we're not quite there yet where the software can replace all the humans. And and so without the right people in place, even the best software on the planet isn't really going to be fruitful for, mm-hmm. for you. And you're going down the path, the exact path I was thinking, because to summarize our look at each of those scenarios, we've come to the conclusion that a lot of it is 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 driven by the people in mm-hmm. in those scenarios. Why do you think it's easier for a company to say sign off on a you know, half million dollar, even you know, yeah, half million dollar or more deal for a piece of technology, but not the salaries, which are significantly less for, for the people to actually run it? It's a, it's a really good question. So I, there are, there are a couple things that need to be addressed and, and it depends on the type or size of company you're working with. But one of the frustrating things with large companies is that it's not that they don't have the money. It's that the, the team that would be hiring doesn't have the money. And by that, I mean that the people budget is a different budget than the technology Mm -hmm. budget, even though it all comes out of the same bank account in the end. And the word headcount. Yeah. It's the the most restricting, limiting, like 
Oh, we don't have the headcount, but we have a million bucks on tools, you know. Well, and Jen and I have worked on clients together where we've been straight up told we don't have the headcount, but we can hire contractors. So like, you know, it's not that they don't have the money. It's that, again, there's different budgets and different allocations that they have to go by. And it makes things incredibly, incredibly complicated. Um, but to be fair, um, it, it is very expensive to hire uh, as well. So we, you know, while we may think of it as just the salary, when you think of the fully loaded costs of, um, having a workspace or equipment or we we have now to to have additional taxes and we have to pay for insurance and yeah uh, it's it's incredibly expensive to to hire so there there is a lot that goes into those budgets but i do think it's easier for these companies for whatever reason to make those capital 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 expenditures to buy software to buy equipment um than it is to to invest in in people However, it's it's a short-sighted yeah. um, strategy. It's just well, and the frustrating thing to me about it is I don't think there is really an individual person making that short-sighted call of nope, nope, headcount's too expensive. I, I think it's usually just massive companies that have policies that must be implemented, whether or not they make sense for the situation, kind of thing. Um, I think if you talk to most individuals, they would all agree, yeah, this is a problem. And, um, you know, we, we understand that we should have more people or whatever, but it's just the way things are, you know? Yeah. Who, who do you uh, go to to say, let's let's change the very nature of HR, you know? Well, and a huge part of the problem is allocation um, of, of cost and, and analytics in every company that I've ever worked with is seen as a cost center. And if you're a cost center, it's more difficult to get things. If you're a profit center and you can say, well, we're breaking even or making money, then it's hard to argue against adding more budget because it's like, well, we're, you know, we're profitable. And so you can go into a company and say, well, we need more, we need more analytics talent to make this work. And like, ah, oh, we just, you know, we don't have the money to support that. So you're going to have to have one person handle A-B testing and implementation and analysis and dashboard design. And they have to do it all. That's all the money we have. It's like, but you literally have 9,000 people in email marketing. Well, but they're a profit center. So they're, they're, they're positive on, on revenue. So I think that's a big challenge that analytics has is it is, it is seen as a cost center and cost centers historically have a difficult time justifying spend. Well, and it's a catch-22 because for lack of resources, a lot of companies' analytics is a cost center. <laughs> like they are spending more money than value they are bringing to the company because they don't have the resources and the investment to get more out of it. And you can't get the investment until you prove that you're valuable. So it's it's a chicken so and the egg kind of situation. It, it really is. And how much of that how much of that do we put on the analytics role versus the positioning of the organization? It's historically been one of my biggest gripes with the digital analytics community is that it's felt like we've matured in our experience level very slowly. And, um, you know, I, I kind of made some offhanded remarks in the past about, I went to this conference five years ago, and I just listened to the same presentation from five years ago. Like we're not, we're not really moving forward. Um, and so if we're not putting ourselves in a position to really justify the value we're creating for the company, how much of that is on us that we're not actively saying, look, this is how much money we're generating for the company, or this is why we're important versus how much of it is kind of the 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 role has been put in a position where it's been subservient to a role to a role to a role and it's really difficult to really point any value that analytics is creating maybe that's not a clear question no i i think it is more the latter in most cases that it's the the very nature of how the org views data and analytics is setting the analysts up to fail <laughs> um or at least to not succeed um you know, if, if you have a company that isn't interested in making decisions off of your analytics data, 
then it is an uphill battle for any analyst in that position to um, provide value. Um, and even if they are loud and they manage to insert themselves into the right conversations and stuff, it, it really is an entire organizational mindset that needs to shift in order for that analyst to really get that data in a, a place where it's valuable, you know? So I think we're going to a place that's really different from where we started the conversation. But oh, yeah. it, it's a, it's a very, it's a, it's a very interesting topic to me and I'm going to take it a little further and I'm going to ask you a question to follow up on that in that, what do you believe the distribution is of companies that are doing analytics for the optics of analytics versus doing analytics for it to be a valuable component to inform product design to better understand consumer behavior? And, and the reason I, I, I ask that is that you, very recently I've talked to companies where I've said, you know, your, your data is very suspect. I, I, I'd be concerned about making decisions off of that. They, they didn't seem too concerned. So I'd say, this concerns me. Why aren't you concerned? They're like, oh, we don't really use the data. Like, well, why are you paying for it? Why do you have this practice? And it was very early on in my career. Back in 2005, I remember talking to a client, one of the first clients that I had at Omniture, I asked the question, why did you, why did you buy analytics? And they said, I don't know, but we have an earnings call next yeah. month and we have to be able to say that we have a world-class analytics solution. So, so I'll re, I'll re-ask the question and I want both of you to chime in. What's the distribution of companies that are doing analytics for the optics of analytics versus doing it to be a truly valuable input into the business? I'll leave it to Jim to answer first. I'm curious what he said. <sighs> yeah, I, I don't know. Like I'm, it's it, it's probably your your typical bell curve, and I don't mean that as just a cop out answer. Um, because I see very few companies, you're, you know, not so very few, but you have a, a small amount of companies that are doing it to be like a truly data-driven organization, which is a cliche, but using, actually using the information, you know, not just generating reports, but actually gathering insights and maybe even using the data to drive personalization. So you have some on that side. There are definitely those on the other side, which are, are doing exactly that. They, you know, as you laid out, which is we have data to say we have data, but we're just making everything up. Um, you know, Jen, you shared that meme not too long ago about attribution. You know, we just make it all up, right? Um, I think there are those companies and it's, you know, it's either to just say they're doing something justify budget or whatever but i think there's companies that are in the middle where they take they have aspects of both where they have this desire to be you know that best in class a again cliche data-driven organization where they're gathering deep insights but they want to, but they either hit some type of paralysis, it becomes too big. So they kind of dream about it and they kind of have a half-assed version of it. Or those companies where they're constantly in this period of restart, where they kind of get started and then there's changeover in management, there's changeover in personnel, they scrap everything and, and rebuild it. Or the ones that they just get stuck doing the easy stuff. They, they implement the data, they, they, they churn out reports, they say they're data-driven, but all they do is churn out reports. We had so many visits last week, we had so many clicks on this video last week, we had so many purchases last week, but they don't take the next step to actually say, yeah, people who viewed two videos um, had a you know X percent greater chance of converting than those that didn't view any. Kind of just throw something out there. So, so let me summarize to see if I understand kind of your position. It sounds like you're saying that the uh, one to two standard deviations to the right are looking and using analytics as a critical uh, component of how they design their products and services. The one to two standard deviations on the left are absolutely by design 
using analytics for the theater optics of it. That the majority of companies are somewhere in the middle. And while there may be some optics components, it may be, you know, that's just cultural driven. It may not be a, a, a deliberate decision, but most likely, and again, going back to some of the topics we touched on, lack of experience, lack of leadership, that it just doesn't have the oomph that it does on those, those that kind of mm-hmm. lean towards the right. It's not by design. It's just that not the right people are there to make it work. Or I think there, there maybe are some cases where it is by design, but it's not all optics where there's a desire and maybe they bring someone in who's more or less a charlatan. Um, they have all the buzzwords. They have all the cliches. They have all the plans they come in, but they don't actually, they're not able to execute. So you do maybe have that component where it's maybe not the, the optics aren't intentional on the client side. It might just be one person who comes in and says, Oh, we can get there. We can do this. We can do that. But they really don't have the plan to execute. So it's failure in execution or the client or the, 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 the organization just hits a point and they don't know how to to move any further i was just gonna ask jen what her perspective was but i think her attack dog is on the loose <laughs> yes my vicious <laughs> attack dog <laughs> tail wagging um so i always struggle with the uh sorry about that by the way it's it's a loud immediate trigger no for her. it happens for um, me on almost everyone <laughs> Um, yeah, well, Jason hasn't me. had any FedEx deliveries today. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, that was just my daughter coming home from school, but ugh, whatever. Um, it's tricky for me, any of the, well, what percentage of, of clients do you think, or organizations do you think are messed up in such and such a way? Because I have to recognize that I tend, just the nature of my position is I tend to see the messed up ones. Like they, they come to us because they are broken. Um, so in my view, like everyone that I work with has a messy or, you know, started with a, a messy implementation or whatever. I actually was chatting with uh, someone the other day, um, uh, not a client, but someone who we, we wanted to compare ideas on, on some analysis stuff. And they mentioned that they have a, a really solid implementation that they're proud of, that they feel is working really well. And I was just gobsmacked. Like that's a thing. There are companies out there that feel that way. <laughs> Um, and not at the end of a long engagement with an agency that's helped clean them up like us. You know, like it's, it's just a, a very rare thing for me to encounter. And I, again, I have to recognize that that may be a little bit because of the nature of my role. Um, so yes, I feel like almost all orgs that I work with have some degree of optics going on and, the amount that that it hinders their success to me has to do entirely with what level of leadership is that optics going on because a lot of the time the analysts and stuff they, they may have the the motivation and and the um desire to really you know do valuable stuff but usually if you just go up even a few levels folks are much more along the lines of, well, we have analytics because companies our size are supposed to have analytics. Yeah. And, um, you know, if you have a a CEO who feels that way and a CMO that feels that way and you just keep going down the chain and it's only a a couple layers of people that are like, no, we have analytics because it's valuable. Um, you'll see a recurring theme with me that (laughs) I, I work with a lot of analysts who, uh, who have the chops, who have the desire, who have the vision, and they're just stuck because leadership isn't isn't on board. And it's not that they're not on board in that, you know, they're they're not going to hire the, the people, although they won't ever hire enough people, but they will have an analytics team, they will have analytics tool, they are on board for that. But that's because those are the things that companies are supposed to do and no one's gonna really question it and you don't really have to prove out why you made the decision to have an analytics team. Um, so how, going back to kind of our original topic, how much of that attitude do you think is the the output of broken implementations? Mm-hmm. So there, you know, there maybe really is little value to the data because it's it's so broken versus just that there's no perceived value or there's no value that's been proven. 
Um, even with the, even with the greatest implementation, right, right. I think some of it is the the chicken and the egg problem of you know you, you're not valuable because you don't have the resources to become valuable. Um, but I think a lot of it is really a business corporate whatever mindset um, of how data is supposed to be used and and the ways that it can be used. Um, because most of the folks who are going to be, you know, the cliche data driven, it's because they're doing something different and different is scary. And if different goes wrong, you get called out on it. Yeah. Um, if you are doing the same thing everybody else is doing, then whether or not it goes well, no one's going to blame you. Um, and, and I think that that's a lot of it that they just, or maybe it's just, they don't even really see it as part of their job. Like, yeah, I, I paid the bills on the analytics tool. I, I contributed to our company being data-driven. Um, but it's, it's so much more than that. And unless you're then encouraging, say, your product team to talk to your analytics team um, and you are giving processes room to include analytics and all of that, then just paying the bill on, on your Adobe Analytics contract does not mean you are data-driven. So how... I guess as those of us that work in analytics, how concerned should we be or how worried should we be about fixing these underlying problems, whether it's the topic we're discussing today around ensuring that we have quality implementations. And then once we have that, using that as a platform to um, really become more integrated and become a linchpin within the business, how how concerned would should we be that we should take a proactive role in fixing that. And what, one of the primary reasons for me asking that question is I think back often to the start of the pandemic and we saw almost entire analytics teams completely gutted day one when instantly. things went yeah. instantly, when things went sideways, analytics was the very first to go. Yeah. Well, I, as far as how worried to be, it, it kind of depends on, well, what, what is it that keeps you up at night? Should we be worried about the future of, of, you know, our jobs, of, of the analytics tools, of, you know, the financial, or is, is my role going to continue to exist? No, I, I don't think we need to be worried about that. I, uh, aside from when the pandemic started and, you know, a whole bunch of people just fired or laid off, um, their whole analytics team, uh, in general, analytics is kind of here to stay, if only because it's already been established that companies have analytics, so you should have analytics. Um, so I'm not worried in a kind of job security kind of way, but what does keep me up at night is how much value am I providing? Um, people, people hire whether or not you're providing value. Sadly, that's just the truth. Um, but I want to provide value. I am a very, very validation needy person. And because of that, yeah, I am actually really worried. Um, I, I think it's getting harder and harder, um, especially as the tools get more complex. It's so easy to throw a lot of effort at the implementation of things. And uh, sorry. I don't know what that was. It's a... Uh, my phone trying to oh. hijack my headset <laughs> for for not even potential spam she said potential spam which i mean come on phone you should know better than that anyways um completely derailed my train of thought though you'll you'll have to put me back on track <laughs> or or pick it up from there uh yeah i mean you were talking I? about being able to, to to provide value oh yeah and, yeah um, yeah yeah, that, that I am. I'm very worried because I, I do feel like we are limited by leadership in a lot of orgs and just the way that organizations are structured to allow analytics out of its tiny little silo on the side. That's a, I'm glad you brought that point up. Jenna and I were having a private conversation earlier this morning and she said she was concerned about some of my uh, social media posts about being stressed out, overwhelmed about things. And, and I think that hits on a big part of my, one of my concerns is we do, we, we want to feel like we're doing things that, that matter. I mean, we all have a choice in what we do. We have limited time. And I think at all of our stages of our life careers, we, we want to be spending that time doing meaningful work. 
And, and, you know, I, after Jenna and I talked, I was thinking about, it. I'm like, you know, I don't know if it would be easier, but it feels easier that there is a lot of that work out there of just doing the work. Um, and maybe that would be easier and that we could grow even bigger financially and have a bigger company and a bigger team. Um, but it would mean, it would mean that we would take on a lot of work that is meaningless. Like it, it just holds no value other than we're saying we're doing it. Um, and I think we've been incredibly picky to take on work and it hasn't been hundred percent accurate, but we've tried very deliberately to take on work that has meaning that the, the companies that are hiring us are, are doing this because they have a true desire to use data to be a critical part of, of their business. And that's something that does keep me up at night as well is that like, there's going to be work out there. There's lots of work out there, but there's not a lot of work out there that I want to do because it's actually meaningful and, and respected and people care that you're actually doing that. Well, and for me, usually again, coming back to it, it's the layers of leadership and the actual org. That's the problem. I do feel like I'm providing value directly to the individuals that I work with. You know, I make so-and-so's life easier by working with them uh, in their role. But unfortunately, that doesn't necessarily mean I am making the entire org better because if they're... Not along the entire company. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. If, you know, I'm helping Joe Schmo, um, he's he's feeling better about his day because I prevented headaches by, you know, cleaning up implementation and streamlining stuff and documenting stuff. Um, that's great. And I, I do see value in that, but then I get like frustrated for Joe Schmo's sake that mm -hmm. he can't then turn around and go to the org and use the data and prove the value because there's just not the audience for it. Cause just people aren't thinking about analytics in that way. Yeah, no, that's, that's so, so true. So I have one question I want to wrap up on. It kind of takes us back to earlier in the conversation. Um, and it also actually ties to, to the, the value piece here. So earlier we were talking about how a lot of times analytics sits in, in a cost center and, you know, makes it just, you know, hard to justify expenses and whatnot. Um, as well as, you know, we were talking about like level of sophistication with, with, with the use of analytics. So broad question. Uh, for both of you, how do we, or, or is it even possible to turn analytics into a profit center, or at least starting to shift the perspective that analytics is, is providing value, but analytics is also helping to drive revenue for the company. I so think I'll get, go ahead. No, I, just, I think it's entirely about focus of if we can keep folks from getting distracted by all of the, you know, put a bandaid and keep the ship afloat kind of stuff and actually focus on usually the, the data set that's going to be super valuable that you can take to the rest of your org and start to get them interested in all of that. It's, it's usually the pretty obvious data. Like <laughs> um, it, it's not going to be the very nitpicky, you know, event. We're using event 423 because we've used all the previous ones. Like, it's, it's usually the simple stuff um, that if you can get that down, then, uh, and, and usually that means ignoring things like, oh, by the way, uh, tracking for event 423 is broken. Well, so what? Let's make sure that purchase is working and do analysis on purchase and then present that analysis to people outside of, you know, our little team in a way that, you know, pushes them to make decisions off of it and, and start including us in more conversations like that's that's where the focus should be. Uh, it's just, it's all too easy to get sucked into the, let's put all of our resources on implementing a new tool or tracking every little thing, you know? From my perspective, I'll give you two things that I think need to happen. Number one is a, a business lesson that one of my first bosses taught me be, because I worked internally in a cost center. He said, just because we're an internal organization, we shouldn't take the stance that our users have to use what we produce. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of one of the flaws of IT is it's like, well, you're, you know, we're IT, you use what we say you're going to use. And he said, 
if we're going to be successful, we need to view our customers as customers that have a choice. And because of that, we need to be thinking about how the product, how our solution services resonate with them. We need to sell and market to them and, and treat them as if they have a choice. And so that's something that I tried to do when I was client side. I think that there, there is an element where we need to be better marketers of, of our internal programs um, and, and, and kind of show the value of, of what we're doing from, from that perspective. I think the bigger way to move the needle is as far as getting out of a cost center mentality is I think that analytics needs to move up within the organization right now in many of the companies that, that we see it's buried somewhere deep. Um, you know, they're very rarely, is there a VP level person, let alone a senior VP or a C level that is responsible for the digital analytics component? It's usually like, oh, well, let's throw it under the VP of marketing. Let's throw it under the director of engineering. And it's buried so deep in the organization. And, and responsible I've seen here I've... doesn't mean signing the contract for the bills. Because I think we do see that, that, yeah, maybe the, the VP will, will be the one who has to sign off on, on the new tool or whatever, but actually invested, interested, and, and responsible, yeah. And that just goes to show, to highlight how buried these organizations are, that they don't even have the, the ability to sign their own contracts. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah, big red I mean, I've seen analytics live under finance before. Oh, for sure, yeah. We've had, we've had clients that have been under finance. Yeah. Um, so great. Like, um, this, this has been, been a lot of fun. Um, it's been a great series kind of focusing on the instrumentation and yeah, like always, we kind of go off in different directions and kind of coming back around to where we were at today, but, uh, I'll end with this thought kind of like, you know, summarizing both of what, I, what I've heard from, from the two of you with that last question. I was on the phone with a client, uh, the other day and this person new to the org was like yeah data is going to be a first class citizen here and like thank god i wasn't on camera because i started jumping for joy because <laughs> it, it it it's when you finally get to that point where someone has that perspective it, it makes a lot of the the business cases uh much much easier yeah yeah i i like that that phrasing even that's that's exactly a first class citizen you know mm -hmm. it's it's included in things and um yeah it's a yeah. nicer way of what i've been saying over the years is that an the analytics needs to sit at the adult table right now yeah. we're we're at the little kid table with it's the fold-out card table put next to the formal dining room table at thanksgiving dinner yeah. we need to we need a seat at the at the adult grown-up table it's time yep 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 well cool well thank you both uh, again like this has been been a lot of fun and we'll go ahead and wrap up there yeah. Cool. Catch you later. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of 33 Tangents. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate and review the show on your favorite podcast aggregator so others can find us. If you would like to reach us, you can do so by emailing podcast at 33sticks.com or on the web at 33tangents.33sticks.com. 33 Tangents is a production of 33 Sticks, an analytics boutique.